Good morning. Great to see you this morning. This August, second week in August. Yeah, supposed to be get really warm this week. That's what I heard. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm glad that uh, it's interesting to hear Melissa's. Uh, where are you, Melissa? You're somewhere. She's in the nursery. She. Uh, she wasn't the only one that's talked to me about worship this Sunday, the last Sunday. It's fun when God shows up and helps us to sing and praise him in the spirit. And so we're privileged to be able to do that here. And uh, I had more than one person say how great it was to worship the Lord here last Sunday. And it's also good to hear from Melissa. I keep pointing over there because that's where she usually sits, but she's back in the nursery, uh, that our search committee is... is uh, making some decisions about uh, what perhaps, I'm not, I don't know, but from what she said, that perhaps uh, uh, getting uh, help uh, with our search uh, from people that do that for a living, and I think it maybe even possibly, I don't know for sure, within our own Converge conference. So keep praying for the search committee because they are meeting and they are uh, seeking to move forward. I know it's a hard process. I've been through this. This is our fourth time through this. And I know everybody wants everything to happen right away, don't we? We want it to happen yesterday. You want to see who that face is up here. And, uh, and you will. But it's better to take your time and seek God's mind than it is to, to rush the process. And so we're excited. Excited for our search committee. Keep praying for them and see what God is, is going to do. We are continuing through the book of Hebrews. If you're new to us today, uh, we have been going through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. If you've been vacating and doing things out and about during the summer, we're in chapter 9 today, and verses 15 through 28. So turn in your Bibles if you brought them with you. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, and uh, actually it's going to be 13 through 28, but we'll, we'll uh, call it... 15 through 28, because we did uh, verses 13 and 14 last week. So um, today we're going to talk about mediators, mediators, specifically Christ, our mediator. He's identified in this passage as our mediator. And, you know, when you think about it, the world has always needed mediators from the very beginning. We've always needed Mediators, and we've needed great mediators because there's always conflict. I don't know that any of us go a day without hearing about or participating in some kind of conflict, but people need mediators. Even little kids need mediators. You ever notice that? Do you ever see two toddlers fighting over a piece of gum or candy or the controls or whatever? And uh, they need mediators. Um, those people are called parents, okay? <laughs> Parents are professional mediators with their children. Um, and as they grow and are on the playground, they need mediators. That's why they post people that they pay to be mediators. Uh, they need mediators in middle school. They need mediators in high school. Mediators are needed at all, uh, at all ages and all levels of society when you think about it. Mediators are needed at times for marriages, uh, on the job site or at the office. Uh, on the athletic field. Who are the mediators on the athletic field called? Referees. Okay. Um, really, in every aspect, police officers are some of society's most valuable mediators. 
Okay, without them, I don't know what we do in certain situations. Mediators are essential to settle legal disputes, hopefully keep, keeping them, some of them out of court. In the Old Testament, God provided mediators to Israel, and do you know what they were called? Uh, nobody's, yeah, judges, and, and other things too, but they were called mediators, judges, to mediate disputes and to keep uh, the kingdom of Israel moving on a smooth pace. Now, as important as mediators are on playgrounds, families, legal matters on the job, between believers, the greatest need for a mediator, and I know you know where I'm headed with this, uh, was a mediator between an absolutely holy, pure, clean, brilliant, eternally um, holy God and an absolutely sinful, separated, um, rebellious humanity. There was a mediator needed to bring those two together and only one was qualified for the job and his name was Jesus Christ. Without Christ as our go-between on the cross, mediating between our sinful, separated selves and a perfectly holy God, we would have never been reconciled to God and have the hope of heaven. Without Jesus Christ, we would not have been able to get to heaven. It's as simple as that. He was the mediator between a holy God and us. And so today, the title of the message is Christ our Mediator. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what this passage, verses 15 through 28, what does this passage tell us about Christ our Mediator? What is, what is, what is true about our Mediator, Jesus Christ? The first thing this passage tells us about Christ our mediator is it gives us the incredible identity of our mediator. Look at verse 15. The incredible identity of our mediator. And you notice the first three words of verse 15. For this reason. For this reason. And whenever you have some words in a verse that refers to the verses before those words in the verse, you want to go back and see what it's saying. Okay, because what the two verses before verse 15 say is that our mediator, Jesus Christ, the incredible identity of our mediator was no less than, here it comes, God. God was our mediator. Just digest that for a second. God was our mediator. Nothing, no one less than God. God was our mediator, okay, and if we go back to verses 13 and verse 14, and then into verse 15, we have some expressions of God, okay? God, let's look at verse 13, okay? The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean, so animal blood can't truly take our sin away permanently. How much more then will the blood of Christ, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And then verse 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Are you seeing a continual theme here? So yeah, it mentioned Christ. Well, what does Christ mean? 
The word Christ means anointed one or Messiah or holy one of God. It has clear implications of deity. And then it says, it mentions the eternal spirit. The writer is equating Christ with God, the Holy Spirit. And then it calls Christ unblemished. That means he's sinless. I I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we we might become the righteousness of God. I was thinking about that as we go, I wonder what it's like not to know sin. What's it like? I think that's one of the things I'm looking forward to in heaven. I'm not gonna know what sin is anymore. Seems hard to believe, doesn't it? We stub our toe spiritually so often, whether it's with our eyes or our ears or our minds or our mouths or our hearts, we sin. But he made him, God the Father, made Christ who knew no sin. You could just chew on that for for such a long time. And then he goes into verse 15. Notice what it says there. For this reason. Now we go to the furthest reason. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. And so you have Christ, the eternal spirit, unblemished, and Christ, the son of God, the mediator of a new covenant. This Christ, God in human flesh, who shed his perfect blood for us, is our great mediator. You can't come up with a better mediator. There are law firms that will allow you to pay them vast sums of money to be your mediator. But they can't even come close because God is our mediator. God is our mediator. Thank you, God, for being our mediator. Probably the, the I would say, probably the, the most well-known verse on Christ being our mediator is in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 6. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, the God-man. It could just as easily be interpreted that way. The man, the God-man, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. This Christ, God in human flesh, who shed his perfect blood for us, is the great mediator who brought sinful man and holy God together through his cross. In Jesus Christ, we have the perfect mediator. And the reason is this, and what you're gonna find this morning as I preach through this passage is I'm gonna say the same thing in about a dozen different ways because that's really a good way to learn it. But in Jesus Christ, we have the perfect mediator. The reason is this. In Christ is all of God in human flesh apart from sin. All, in Christ is all of God in human flesh apart from sin. And we needed a sinless sacrifice to mediate between God and ourselves because how terrible and awful sin is. And you don't hear that very much anymore at all. We don't talk about it at all. We don't talk about how terrible 
and awful sin is and how perfectly holy God is. You see, we may not have an issue with God, but I'm telling you something, God had an issue with us, and it was our sin. We forget that. We forget it, or we don't realize it. We forget how much of an affront sin is to an absolutely holy God. Sin is terrible in contrast to an absolutely holy God. I'll just give you an illustration. I think it helps. It helps me anyway. I want you to imagine the blackest sheet you've ever seen. I know we don't usually use black sheets on a bed or anything like that, but just the blackest sheet is as black as anything could ever be black. And on that sheet are, and it's about 15 feet away, and on that sheet are some sprinkles of black ink. And they're all over the sheet. But you can't see them because the sheet is black and the ink is black. But then I want you to shift your mind to another sheet that is brilliantly white. So it's whiter than even Clorox could make it. I mean, it is white. It is so white, you can barely look at it. When you walk into the room and look at this sheet, it almost blinds you. But now those black ink spots are splattered on that white sheet. Are you going to see that, those black ink spots? You're going to see them because they are going to be raised out and, and they're going to be as more obvious to you than you've ever seen anything before because the background is so brilliant. That's what sin is to God. It is the absolute opposite of who God is. And so the cost to wash out the blackness of that sin, if you will, is a terrible, awful cost because it's the perfect Christ. Only the perfect Christ can be the mediator to bridge the gap between us and God and the costliness and darkness of our sin. And that, in verse 15, tells us, results in the mediator of a new covenant. Because of his perfect deity, his substitutionary death on the cross is at the center of eternal redemption, paying for all of the sin, for all of history. And so our mediator has an incredible identity, an identity that is so powerful that his sacrifice took away all sin um, in the brilliance view of God, brilliant view of God. And so we're given the incredible identity of Christ, our mediator here. But there's a second thing about uh, Christ, our mediator here that I want us to look at, and that's this. The wonderful purpose of our mediator. Our mediator had a purpose. Okay, now now look at verse uh, 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. And you notice the word that right there? Is that up there? Is there a word that, the next word? It's not a trick question. All right. Well, that, that word that is talking about the purpose. It's going to blow your mind. For this reason, Christ, this perfect God-man who can remove the darkest sin spots from the brilliance of God, that Christ It says that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So the purpose 
not just to remove sin, but it says that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And what a great privilege to be called. If you're a Christian, don't forget the fact that you're called by God. You didn't find God. God found you. It had nothing to do with your family background. In the end, it had nothing to do with your, your earning potential, your talents, your gifts. It had nothing to do with your GPA. Thank goodness for some of us. It had nothing to do with anything. It, the reason that we're Christians is that we have been called by God. Called. Do you ever find yourself battling discouragement? It's a stupid question, isn't it? You, you want to know how to pull out of the hole of discouragement? Maybe you're discouraged about a relationship or about a, an unresolved conflict or about some, some kind of circumstances or just about what's, the wor- what's going on in the world today and the uncertainty of our future. If you want to pull out of that, Think about the fact that you, as a Christian, are called. You're called, okay? You are called that because of the choosing grace of God, and for no other reason, no other reason, because of the choosing grace of God, you, as opposed to the the vast numbers of humanity, that live, have lived, live or will live upon this earth, that you, out of the choosing grace of God, have the unspeakable fortune and privilege of, through no good of your or my own, going to heaven no matter what. Because of his choice of you in eternity past. I just love uh, the, the, the verses on these, and there are many, but I'm gonna go to uh, Ephesians chapter one. Verse four, for he chose us, he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Bingo. We were plunged into oneness with Christ through the Holy Spirit, and from that time on, we're holy and blameless for all eternity. Verse five, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And then in verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. The reason that Jesus came to be our mediator was to rescue those, and this is gonna bend your mind a tad, who have already been called. Now, you don't believe me? Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. This this is another mind bender. But if this doesn't lift your spirits when you're discouraged, then I don't know what will. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also what, everybody? That's past tense. Do you know you're already glorified in the eyes of God? The great purpose of our mediator was to come and redeem those who have already been chosen and glorified by God. And I'm thinking, you know, if, if I was Jesus, I would have said, well, Father, since you already did it, let's, why don't we bypass that cross thing? I mean, since they're already called and glorified, isn't it done? Not God, not Jesus. He came and he suffered on a cross and became our mediator because he wanted to take all of us who have already been called home to be with him and to enter into our glorified state. And I'll tell you what, isn't it such a privilege to be a Christian? To think that we're one of the chosen, not through anything better about us, but because of his inscrutable, infinite grace that we actually are one of them? I walk around, I look at people. I'm a people watcher. Are you a, I watch people. I watch everybody. I just like watching people. And uh, I sometimes just think, you know, how fortunate I am out of the sea of humanity to be selected by God. It's just, and it's, and it's not too far away, is it? We're going. We're going to go. We're going soon. Thank goodness. We're going soon. Because he chose us. That's the wonderful purpose of our mediator. And even the saints in the Old Testament get in on it. Look at the last part of verse 15. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Do you ever wonder how Old Testament people got saved? Because Jesus came after them. Jesus' redemption is so powerful and the purpose of his mediation is so powerful that it's retroactive to all the people in the Old Testament too. When Christ died and was buried and rose from the dead, that covered the Old Testament saints when they expressed faith in God. And it also covered those of us who were saved after Jesus died and was buried and rose again. The power of what Jesus did. And so that's the wonderful purpose of our mediator, to take those of us who are called home, to provide redemption for us. Let's go to a third one here. We have the great identity of our mediator, the wonderful purpose of our mediator, and now we have the better blood of our mediator in verses 16 and through 28. In the case of a will, it is necessary, in verse 16, uh, to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, 
and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now, to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. We'll stop there. A better sacrifice than animal sacrifices was needed for heavenly things, okay? Namely, Christ's blood in his substitutionary death. Now, what did Christ's blood do for us? Well, before we get to Christ's blood, we need to talk about animal blood, okay? Back in verses 16 through 23. The picture of a will was used to show that without a death, the will was not put in effect, verses 16 and 17. This is why... And sometimes people have killed other people in order to speed up their inheritance and get the proceeds from the will. That's happened, hasn't it? They think of ways that they can get rid of someone so they can get the, the stuff from the will. They want it faster than they're supposed to get it. This is why even the first covenant wasn't effective without blood, a symbol of forgiveness resulting from death, verse 18. Now Moses used animal blood to put the first covenant into effect, verses 19 through 21. And the reason was that without blood, there is no forgiveness, period. Verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness demands blood, which symbolizes life. It was very bloody. Okay, in fact, the truth of it is, and I read this this week, that um, in the thousand years that animal sacrifices were offered, there was approximately one million bulls and goats offered for sacrifice. One million bulls and goats with all that blood. And in fact, there was so much blood that they um, built troughs from the sacrificial altar down into the Kidron Valley. So you would see troughs with blood flowing down. Wouldn't that be a sight? It was bloody. The tabernacle, the sacrifices, the offerings was bloody. But it was necessary. It was, this, I don't mean say this to be cute, but the Old Testament sacrifice official uh, system was a blood fest. There's blood everywhere, okay? Including the people. They were, you might think this is odd, but they were, they were dripping and doused and dotted with blood. 
during the sacrificial offering. Look at verse eight, uh, Exodus 24, 5 through 8. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. And then he took the blood of the covenant and read it to the people, book of the covenant rather, read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. We all know how that went, right? That's why they needed them all the time. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. How would you like it if I had a bowl of blood and I went up to you and started sprinkling you with blood during the service? be the last time you came here probably <laughs> pastor mitch has freaked out but that's what he did and it was on all the utensils there was blood everywhere it says this is the blood of the covenant that the lord has made with you in accordance with all these works and now we come to the better blood in verses 23 to 26 a better sacrifices sacrifice was needed for heavenly things Namely, Christ's shed blood and substitutionary death. So what did Christ's better blood give us? Because our mediator gave us better blood. Not just an incredible identity, right? And an incredible purpose, but, but better blood. This blood, and in, in, in we see it in verses 24 through 26, resulted in two awesome things. In verse 22, or 24 rather, it resulted in a new location. Verse 24, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. Now this is where I just really want you to concentrate. He entered heaven itself, heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know, I don't have anything else in my bag of tricks this morning. Listen to what happened after Christ shed his perfect blood for us. When he rose from the dead, he entered into heaven itself. And he's there right now. And who is he there for? For us In God's presence, that can literally mean in God's face. We usually use that in a negative way. Get out of my face, you know. But here, Jesus is in the face or the presence of God, face to face with the Father. When? Now? Where? In heaven? For whom? Us. As what? Our representative, our attorney. And of course, I want to go to the signature verse on this, in Romans chapter 8, verses 32 through 34. Romans 8, chapter 32 through 34. It's a thrilling, thrilling verse. Romans 8, 32 through 34. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? That's you if you know the Lord Jesus. And if you don't, you can. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is now at the right hand of God and is also right now interceding for us. For us. And it's an eternal intercession. 
And all it is is Christ saying, my blood is eternal. And it's for my children who were chosen for me and I'll never, they'll never be separated from me. And when we do fail, we say or do or think or act in ways that are unpleasing to God, there's Christ in heaven now, the Lamb of God, interceding before the Father on the basis of his blood. The second thing, it not only results in a new location, but the better blood of Christ results in a finished work. And it's amazing, especially in the book of Hebrews, how often the word once is used. Once, 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 once. I could go through them with you. Uh, gosh, well, we're close. Uh, you, in fact, you don't, even, I don't, you don't even need to turn there, but let me just, it, it's, it's a quick study here because we're already here in the book of Hebrews. But Hebrews 7, 26. Um, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all, speaking of Jesus. Chapter nine, verse 12. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, once. Here in this verse, once. Up in verse 10 that we'll look at next week. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14 of Hebrews. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You are perfect because of a one-time sacrifice by Christ. No repeats necessary. Wasn't again and again and again like the high priest every year. It was a once for all act to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ will never sacrifice again. It was a one-time thing. He absorbed all sin from all mankind and died, and in him we were represented in his death. Pretty exciting. A one-time act. Now, this is gonna really blow your mind. I, I am amazed. How many people, as a youngster or even since then, practice scripture memory? Yeah, lots of people. Memorize the Bible, right? How many people know a Bible verse by heart? Even if it's Jesus wept, okay? <laughs> I memorized verse 27 by heart when I was a young Christian. But it is a point, and I memorized it in the King James. That's pretty much all we used back in the olden days. Just as man is destined to die once, after that to face judgment. The one that I memorized, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And that's, I thought that was just a verse. And it is, but I never associated it with anything else other than everybody dies, right? The death rate is still one apiece, as they say. Everybody dies, and after death, in a very sobering, right, there's going to come what? A judgment. Believers will have a believer's judgment, not for our salvation, but for our works and what kind of stewards we were of the talents, treasures, and time that God gave us on earth. Uh, but there'll also be the great white throne judgment in the latter chapters of Matthew, where the sheep will be separated from the goats. 
and we all know how sobering that is. That's what this verse is saying. But it's associating everything with what we just talked about. And this is what it's saying. Christ's one-time, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins and the forgiveness of, that is available to all by faith and the bridge that that provides to God is so final. His sacrifice for our sins is so final. We cannot fall out of grace or heaven because we're his children. Is so final that it is considered just as certain as the fact that every man will die and face judgment. That's exactly what it's saying here. Because you look at the words just as in verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once, unless Christ returns first, but destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. It's the oddest thing happens when you study scripture in context. You learn such, it's a, I never knew that. As certain as the fact that every man and woman will die and face judgment, it's as certain that Christ's sacrifice for our sins was a once-for-all act that doesn't need to be repeated. And we can say, praise God, as a chosen child of his, it's a sealed deal. And that takes us to our last um, statement about our mediator today, Christ our mediator. He, first, we talked about his great identity, God, the wonderful purpose to come to the earth and die on the cross for our sins for those of us, get it, guys, who have already been chosen, you figure that out. It's way above my pay grade to try to figure that out. But I'm glad it's true. To the wonderful purpose and then the better blood, okay? And the fi- now the final act of our mediator. They're connected, okay? Verse 28, second half. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Uh, sin has been born. It's done. You're sealed, you chosen Christians, you. You're sealed. Nothing can take that away. Isn't it great to know when you look where, where the world is headed? And what a comfort. I'm sealed. I really don't like what I see going around, around going on around me, I, 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 I don't like it. I'm not a, a really a fan of pain, especially when it's my own. But goodness gracious, I'm going. I'm going, and nothing can stop it. Not, you know, nothing. The final act of our mediator, however, is not that blood sacrifice and resurrection. It's his return. Verse 28, after the cross, What did we enter? We entered the last days. That's what the Bible says. The last days began at the resurrection of Christ. You study scripture that says, now, the very, very tippy top last days, you can call those the last days too. But, you know, when, when the signs of the time show that Christ's return is near. But technically, the last days are the time between Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and when he returns. And it says here that he will appear for a second time. Okay. 
And every eye will see him, Revelation tells us. Every eye will see him. He's coming back a second time. Okay, a second time. But not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. To bring us our new dwelling, our mansions in heaven. I'll never get rid of that King James word, sorry. Just can't. In my house are many mansions, right? Father's house are many mansions. I like mansions, you know. I've never lived in a mansion. I want to live in a mansion. And you got, we're going to, and he's preparing that. He's appearing, and he's going to bring salvation. We'll get a new mansion, a new body. Amen. And uh, we'll be productive. We, we'll be in heaven. And then it says, to those who are waiting for him. Please don't separate the one-time aspect of Christ's blood sacrifice and resurrection. Don't separate that from the fact that we need to wait for him until he comes back. I'm wondering if some people have stopped waiting. I don't know. But what, what waiting implies some things, doesn't it? Waiting implies, first of all, that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You can't wait for something if you don't know him. Some people say, well, you talked about people being chosen. How can we believe if we're chosen? Well, this is what's going to happen. Wink, wink. This is what's going to happen. Um, you're going to get to heaven, and on the front door, it's going to say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You're going to walk in, and you're going to turn around, and it's going to say, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now, that's not true, but that's a good way to illustrate it. Because it says God doesn't want anybody to perish. And any who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. But it says we're chosen. And if you're not a Christian, God, and I can't explain this in the great mystery that it is, some people call it an antinomy, a contradiction between two equally valid principles. I just know that if you receive Christ, and if there are lots of people watching at home from what I'm told, Maybe you don't know the Lord to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You'll be one of God's chosen people. Amen? Okay, don't ask me any questions after the service. Okay. It's tough. So you have to believe in Jesus to get that glory in heaven. Amen. And God will, will receive you if you receive him. And that waiting implies serving. Are you serving Jesus? Using your time, talents, and treasures, your gifts to minister in and outside the church. It means anticipating Christ. Anticipation. Are we anticipating his return? It means sharing our faith when we can in lieu of his return. And it means living for Jesus. Turning away from sin. It means repentance isn't just for when we get saved. Repentance is a daily thing, right? I love repentance. Oh, I love repentance so much. I just don't do it enough. I lo don't you love when, when you're tempted and you turn away from it and you know it pleases God? That's what we ought to be doing until Christ comes back, repenting. Well, Christ is our great mediator. He's our wonderful, awesome mediator. Now, I want to finish with this story. Years ago... In a rural village, a doctor was noted for his professional skill and devotion to Christ. 
And after his death, his books were examined and several entrees, entrees had written across them, forgiven, too poor to pay. Wouldn't you like to hear that from your doctor now? <laughs> nah, don't worry about it. Forgiven, too poor to pay. Unfortunately, after his death, death, his wife was not of the same disposition as her husband. And she wanted to collect all this money and insisting that these debts be settled, she filed a suit before the proper court. And when the case was being heard, uh, the judge asked her, is this your husband's handwriting in red? She replied that it was, and then the judge said, not a court in the land can touch those whom he has forgiven. Not a court in the land. Not a court in the land can touch you or me as a believer because of who our mediator is and what he's done. As our great mediator Jesus has written in bold red letters across our lives, forgiven once and for all. Next step, heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the wonderful truth in the book of Hebrews. Thank you that we were chosen and glorified before you even came to earth to pay the price for our sin. How in the world, how in the world, Jesus, can we say thank you enough for what you did for us? How? But we do, and that we're in your family. And that ought to just mean everything to us, and it does. We praise you, Jesus. We thank you. And as we go out today, just help us to spread that to some people that we run into, to anyone that we can, that that can be their blessing too. And thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.